0: In this episode, we'll be talking with Katie Arnold, choreographer, director, actor, and co-founder of the Fourth Wall Acting Studio.
1: You know, you don't have to be an A-list celebrity to be successful in this business. You can be very successful, and nobody knows who you are.
2: Hi, my name is Mark Mossery.
0: And I'm Chris Hollow, and this is episode number five of Creativity in Motion, a podcast about creativity where we talk with creatives of all kinds to find out why they create and especially how they overcome creative obstacles.
2: In this episode, Katie Arnold is here to talk about turning script pages into a memorable acting performance and how to embrace the challenges of being vulnerable
0: on screen. Before we jump into it, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor, NOSI College of Art. NOSI College opened in 1973 as a fine arts school and has transformed into Tennessee's only private arts college. They offer bachelor's degree programs in commercial illustration, graphic design, video and film, and photography. Starting in September 2021, they will begin offering a brand new culinary arts associate's degree. They have a beautiful 55,000 square foot facility that was built with the artistic student in mind that includes computer labs, production suites, photography and video studios, and a fully stocked equipment cage. Everything students need to get creative. To learn more about NOSI College of Art, you can visit nosi.edu spelled N-O-S-S-I.edu, for degree program details, faculty information, and student work. Today, we're talking with Katie Arnold, who along with her husband, William Arnold, founded the Fourth Wall Acting Studio where actors can learn the craft of acting for film and television through detailed script analysis and character development. I stole that right from your website. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Katie.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> We're so glad to have you here today. Indeed. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And I know you, you and William moved to Nashville not that long ago.
1: Uh, seven years ago. Seven years yeah, ago. Seven years ago.
0: You moved the acting studio from L.A. to here. It wasn't always here. Correct. How long was was it in place? Well, there?
1: William was teaching in L.A. for oh my goodness, I don't even know how many years. I feel like a long time. <laughs> um, and it was his; he sort of taught out of another studio and made it his own thing. And then when we moved here, that was his dream to have his own big studio. And um, it wasn't my dream at that time. And I was working on other projects. And we moved here. When we found out we were going to have our little boy, we have family here and we wanted to actually afford a house. <laughs> right. So it took a couple of years before we finally made that happen. So the fourth wall acting studio in Nashville has been open now five and a half years, I believe. Um, and gosh, it has grown and become so much more than we ever dreamed it would be. You know, we kind of thought it would be this fun little side project. And William used to say, oh, work three hours a night. It'll be (laughs) fun. Not so much. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Way full time. (laughs) But um, we're so fortunate. The people here are amazing. Um, The creativity here is incredible. We did not know what to expect coming here. We didn't know if there was a market. We didn't know if we'd even be able to make it go. Um, But it's been incredible. I feel like the discipline here is so much better than in California. The creativity is great. I think there's so many musicians that obviously make their way into our studio. And the people are just nice and kind. And, and we just, we, we love it. So we're trying to bring all of the wonderful things that we learned in Los Angeles here and leave behind the bad parts of our industry. You know, we're really trying to create a positive change and make sure that our students put that out into the industry as well.
0: And next thing you know, you've bought a a new building.
1: (laughs) Yep. We bought an old church,
0: super cool building.
1: (laughs) It's a great building. Yeah. We ran across this space. We were looking, we, our first space was at 100 Taylor, which is a creative building in Germantown. We had a tiny little studio. We were able to fit, You know, 20, 24 chairs, I think. (laughs) And we loved that space. We got to meet a lot of interesting people. But with the changes in Nashville and everything growing so fast, we were just so nervous that they were going to sell that building and we were going to be out on the street. So we kind of were just casually looking for a new space. And my husband would drive around town and he found this old church for sale. And it was way out of our price range, but we went in and he said, you know, I don't know how we're going to make this into a studio. And I said, I do. I definitely do. And we made such a low offer on this place and they accepted it. And that day we were like, oh crap. They what? Huh? <laughs> they accepted our offer. Now we, what do we do? So we bought this church and it is beautiful. It's built in the 1940s it is it's got such great character and we've we've renovated some of it we still have a ton of work to do on it but little by little it has become our home and we just love it
0: as photographers a lot of times we fantasize about buying a church to yeah. make a studio because and we've known people that have done that and the the large open space yeah. makes for the perfect studio space oh
1: it does it yeah. does and we were able to make two studio spaces out of it so the big open space is our main play space and then in the back, it used to have a full kitchen, which we did not need. So we knocked that out and turned it into a smaller studio in the back so we can have two classes going simultaneously.
2: It's nice to have some versatility in the space because on the, in the larger space with the bigger stage, you can have more complex scenes mm-hmm. that, that require more actors on stage. And then the area that's in the back, we've been there, we've held some auditions mm-hmm. there. And it's smaller. You can have smaller scene studies, and what amounts to the audience seating is much closer. Mm -hmm. It actually reminds me, there's a magic club in L.A., Magic Castle. Uh The big room is giant, and it's perfect for those large acts with illusions, but you step down to the smaller one, and then you get to the the little teeny parlor of prestidigitation, and it's like it only holds 13 people, you know, Mm -hmm. and the person's performing two feet from you. And, and I really appreciated the small space at fourth wall when we were Mm -hmm. doing our auditions, because there was an immediacy that I think was really good for us, but good for the actors as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. And originally in our, in our big space, even, so we have, you know, these risers that you guys have seen that we have two levels of risers and then chairs in the front. originally we, We had those risers really close to the play space because we wanted the intimacy of it because we focus on film and television and not theater. Um, But because of COVID, we've pushed everything back. But thank goodness for our space because we were able to reopen because we could space everyone out. I do look forward to the days of bringing everybody closer because most sets you're on are very small. You know, you're, you're enclosed in a tiny space with so much equipment taking up the rest of the space that we really wanted it to feel more intimate. But i love that back studio for that reason too.
0: Yeah. Sorry about that. (laughs) All the gear that we bring in. I know, right? (laughs) Cramp your space.
1: It's okay. We need it. It's a team sport, you
0: know?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Even here at this podcast, we're, Inches away from microphones, there are Mm -hmm. mic stands and booms, and we're sort of like kind of pinned in a little bit to have this conversation, but it's just the way it is.
1: It is. It is. And I, I think our actors, especially, you know, we have obviously, because we're in Nashville and not in L.A. or New York, though things are changing, a lot of our actors have never been on a set. So to let them know, you know, this is all the space you get, I think is important a lot of musicians come into us and obviously they have been on huge stages or or smaller ones but with a huge audience and it's really important for us to make them understand what they're getting into before they get into
0: it so it's helpful yeah we've had we've had to have actors like we'll have a set all sort of figured out mm-hmm. and we'll bring actors in and they'll have to sort of squeeze their way past the tripod around the light that's burning a hole in their head Mm -hmm. and then duck underneath the flag and sit on this uncomfortable Apple box, you know, in order to get this shot. And it's like, I'm sorry, we totally blocked you in and you have to figure out how to get onto the set.
1: Yep. (laughs) It's all about problem solving. So
0: (laughs) We talk about that a lot. Everything is about problem solving. It is. And then after
2: they do that, they sit on the Apple box and we ask them to, okay, now pretend that you're in a hammock on the beach. (laughs) Because that's what this scene is about, you know, and so.
0: And action.
1: And And action. (laughs) I keep saying I want to do a workshop for our students where um, they all have to do scenes where it's green screen, you know, because we don't get that opportunity in classes very often. But, you know, you're on Jurassic Park, you're acting to a tennis ball and not an actual dinosaur. So it's you have to suspend belief. I mean, just so often.
0: Well, I'll make you a deal. We, um, for our film that we're shooting, we in the next three weeks or so, we're gonna. This studio will be all green.
1: Oh, nice! And I'll make
0: you a deal if you want to bring <gasps> some students over yes. and put them through that. We'll light it, and you can do that.
1: Oh my god, that would be amazing! Yes, I'll we're take make, you up on that.
0: It's the ugliest thing. This when the, when the whole place is green. Uh huh. But it, if you want to do that, well, before I cover cover it back up with gray or something. Oh yeah. We'll we'll set that up. Oh, that'd be fantastic. They can all act to tennis balls. We, ten, it. Tennis ball 101. Yes,
1: <laughs> They'll
2: love it. <laughs> Katie, tell us about um, when you first came to Nashville with Fourth Wall and you, uh, may, maybe before you bought the church or maybe shortly after you bought the church, how quickly did you realize that you needed to get creative in, in transferring Fourth Wall from Los Angeles to here? Not just the logistics of it, but... Finding your students. Talk to us just a little bit about facing those obstacles and how you were able to create what you want in the face of all that.
1: Um, you know, I give a lot of that credit to my husband, William. He he is very um, he was very adamant about how he wanted the studio to run and how and what type of atmosphere we wanted it to be. And luckily we were on the exact same page with that. Because I was working on some contracts, I had some cruise ship contracts at the time that put us on ships for months at a time. He had a lot of time to sort of develop his ideas. He started with his website and got it exactly how he wanted it and launched it well before we were even ready to open the studio. And creating that little bit of a buzz, we knew nobody here. I had directed one show here in 2012. So I knew a dozen dancers. Um, but that was it. And, and my family. Um, so we were definitely coming into it blind. And we started with 10 students, you know, a little bit of word of mouth. Maybe my sister-in-law knew one person and then that person got us another person. And then, you know, we started with 10 students and we're thrilled. <laughs> and, I honestly don't know how we got as lucky as we did. I do think that the fact that we really, really, really care about our students and want to create a community where they feel safe and comfortable and that they can fall flat on their face and they're not going to be chastised for it or beat up for, over it. We celebrate it. And it's, I think, first and foremost, not about us. You know, it's not a place where we showcase ourselves, my husband and I, we, we've passed the torch. And I think that's really important for teachers to do. So many actors start teaching because it's a means to an income, but they're still out there performing. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I think for us, it's been really important to focus on them and not on us, that it's just worked for us. So the creativity was really in changing our outlook on our career. You know, we kind of hung up our performance shoes and really just focused on teaching people what we learned over the, you know, 20 years we lived in L.A. and passing the torch to them and hoping that they do even better things than we ever did, you know. I miss performing sometimes. He misses performing sometimes. But for the most part this is our path and this is the place that we both feel happiest.
0: Well, having worked with a bunch of your students, um, I, I can tell that the, the values that you're trying to instill upon them have been instilled upon them oh, <laughs> because they're all great people. And I've, I've really enjoyed working with those that, uh, we have a couple of your students, um, that are, have become part of our cast for mm-hmm. our film and we helped you with the, um, your student competition, your short yes. film competition. I guess that was two years ago, right? Two years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot of fun. It was, it was good to meet people.
1: That's um, the best. We, we love, we missed it. We couldn't do it this year because of COVID, but we hope to get it up this summer.
2: Yeah. You mentioned celebrating your students failures and, you know, failure is such an integral part of creating. For sure. Um, and, I know, I'm sure. Just on many levels, you and William have have faced failures just getting before that the studio up and running, mm-hmm. renovating the church, not to mention teaching students how to deal with failure and coaching them to do better. Can you can you recall or or just talk a little bit about how you approach that, either in your own life or with the students, and just how you manage to kind of turn those failures into a positive.
1: Absolutely. I am a self-proclaimed perfectionist, have always been. Um, And it's, it still kind of boggles my mind how I ended up in the arts because everything had to be done perfectly and that's impossible in art, (laughs) but it's taken me this long, you know, 25 years in the industry to be able to accept that and, pass that on to people, but honestly, I really do think it's the students that taught me that and becoming a mom. We limit our classes to 20 students. When you have 20 students in front of you that have all come from different walks of life, they all have these different paths and some of them are heavier than others. Some of them have gone through a lot of trauma that you can't even imagine. And because we are storytellers, I want to hear those stories. And those stories have allowed me to stop judging people. And because they've allowed me to stop judging people, I think we kind of create, try to create this um, room where you're not judging the person next to you. And because they feel that they're not being judged, they feel okay letting go. And until you can really let go of what other people think about you, it's really hard to fulfill your creative desires and potential. So I really think it's this atmosphere that they help me, I help them. You know, I act like a fool when I teach <laughs> so that they see that it's not a big deal. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. I give personal information to my students so that they feel safe with me and they can trust me. Um, it is a very intimate art form because it is visual and psychological and a lot of times you you know the best for us the best way to present a story is to involve your personal situations so a lot of times you know people get very personal with what they're going to divulge to a classroom full of others and in doing so they feel safe and because they realize they're in the same boat with other people. You know, everybody has a story. Everybody has a past. Everybody has problems. I think it allows people to say, it's okay. You know, I can do this. It's, it's fine. And we tell them that. It is fine. I'd rather you fall on your face here than on set. So now's the time
0: to do it. You mentioned um, your cruise ship, your time on the cruise ships, and that's, and choreography I know is a large part of what you did. Maybe not so much anymore, how do you process, someone gives you a directive, I need this, and they give you notes on what they think it should look like. Yep. How do you translate that into something, into a moving piece of art like that, that satisfies the client and also your creative need?
1: Ah, That's a great question. I moved to Los Angeles primarily to be a dancer. Never really had any desire to be a choreographer but over the years, because I started training and acting to make my dancing better and it all goes together, the storytelling part of it became more of a passion for me. And I was given an opportunity at Universal Studios Hollywood to choreograph my first show. And it happened to be Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> and it was a huge Halloween event in this massive theater, but they didn't want to do it verbatim they didn't want to do the typical show they wanted to kind of recreate it a little bit and I'm thinking oh my goodness I have to recreate this classic cult <laughs> everybody knows the moves everybody knows no pressure no pressure at all but it was really probably the best thing that could have happened to me as to start my choreography career because it gave me so much confidence moving forward because it was a, it was one of the most successful shows that they had. And it kind of taught me that my vision was, I guess, as you said, like they give you kind of a box of this is what we want. Now you make it work. Um, I like working that way. I'm not somebody who's like, I have this vision for this new thing. I'm just not that type of a creative. I am definitely more of an executor of other people's visions. You know, and and then once I get that in my brain, I can sort of make it fit. But with choreography, I have my own style. Everybody does. Every, you know, every dancer has their own style, just like every painter does, every photographer does. And I try really hard not to copy, I guess, other people, though, of course, other people absolutely influence everything but I worked in the corporate world for so long at Universal Studios and then at Crystal Cruises and did shows for Nickelodeon and Dreamworks and because they are so specific with what they want and what their audience can see it gave me a good sort of a confine to what I could do but then create it you know to my own style and to my own liking I was always given a decent amount of freedom, but you know, the music had to be very carefully approved and obviously it had to be family friendly. And yeah, I, I've only written one show. I've only written one show top to bottom for a cruise ship where I wrote it, directed
0: it and choreographed it.
1: You know, it could be better, but I was <laughs> proud of it.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it was awesome. I'm sure they thoroughly enjoyed that.
1: <laughs> they did. It's, I mean, you know, if it wasn't for COVID, it would still be running, but
2: <laughs> there you go. I've had a couple of really great summer jobs that I didn't realize how great they were until recent years, and one of them was working at the American dance festival oh, yeah. and for the entire summer and I got exposed to that sounds weird <laughs> I met and got to watch close up um so many amazing choreographers that didn't mean much to me at the time because I was there in more of a technical role. But you mentioned earlier about you have your favorite dancers and everyone has their own style and everything. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about who those are and what you like about them, whether that you feel they match up with you or not is, you know, not necessarily. I'm just curious about what you've Mm -hmm. noticed.
1: Um, you know, it's one of my favorite, I was a tap dancer as well. So I was a huge Fred Astaire fan. Um, and I, I loved Fred Astaire because he was so meticulous and he was a perfectionist. <laughs> so when I'd read his biographies, I would feel connected to him because he really took time with every little movement and every hand motion. And so I, I loved watching him and I just, I don't know, something about him I just always loved, even though, you know, Gene Kelly was amazing too. But for some some reason, I just really connected with Fred Astaire. The other, I had a teacher who actually was one of my favorite choreographers, Doug Caldwell. He has since passed away, but um, he was not only one of my favorite choreographers, he was probably solely responsible for breaking me out of my shell, you know, of, of that perfectionism. He, when I moved to Los Angeles at 19, um, I did a, a year-long scholarship at Joe Tremaine Dance Center. Joe Tremaine is an incredible jazz legend. He's amazing. In this scholarship program, you take 18 classes a week for a year. It is intense training. You get to LA, you work with these amazing choreographers and you crash and burn, basically. You either, if you can get through that year, you're good to go. If you can't make it through the year, go home. (laughs) Um, But Doug Caldwell, he taught a lyrical class, which now we call contemporary, but um, he taught this lyrical class and it was, you know, mid nineties at the time. And his, his music was all Celine Dion and anything that would just make you cry. Well, my first time, I was originally, I came from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Los Angeles from a conservative household. Um, never thought in a million years I would be moving to Los Angeles to be a dancer and I walked into Doug Caldwell's class shy as can be at the time and there were just all walks of life there was a little person a transgender every race shape size everything and at the end of class everyone is crying I mean just in tears falling on the floor, crying. <laughs> and as a 19-year-old Baton Rouge, Louisiana girl, I was like, what in the world am I witnessing? <laughs> and from that day forward, my world changed. I mean, completely. So Doug Caldwell, and and most dancers know who Doug is. Um, I think a lot of people credit him to just being able to stop judging and open up um, and tell stories. Um, so he's, he's one for me. Um, you know, Fosse, of course, is brilliant. And there's so many others, but I think, I think Doug is probably my inspiration.
2: I remember meeting Alvin Ailey mm. and Merce Cunningham. Oh gosh. Legends. And um, Echo and Koma. Yeah. And um, all the troupe that was Palabalos yes. at that time. I and mean, they've been around forever and they just keep at, you know. Talk about creativity. Su- Amazing, yeah. amazing. And watching like part of my job was to supply audiovisual equipment for their studios and their classes. Mm-hmm. So I would f- was frequently in there when they were teaching and working with students. And I haven't realized until recently how much I absorbed by just being incidental to their class mm-hmm. and how that has stuck with me. That's been 30 years and um and so it's it was really an amazing experience
1: yeah you know dance is one of those it's a it's such a discipline you know that that dancers are some of the most disciplined people in the world um and work the hardest because it is it's not just about you know you have to love it just like any art to to make a living at it but since some don't make a good living it's pain every day you're in Absolute agony, pain. Yet you go back for more constantly. You know they're some of the most athletic and disciplined people in the world. Um, you know, and I think when a dancer can transition into acting or music, it's just magical. You know, because there's so much um, sense of of self when you're a dancer that you know at least physically, especially you, you just kind of know how to let go.
2: Have you noticed that in the in the professional world, in the professional creative world, that people that seem to do well at the corporate level or with a succession of gigs, you know, perhaps they're lucrative gigs, but there's always they always have something going on. Very often it depends on their amount of professionalism and how well they integrate into a corporate, very sort of stiff business like environment. And on the corporate side, they just expect that the creativity is there. Like they don't, they just go, okay, you, the creativity is up to you. What we want are, can you get us your W9 on time? And Mm -hmm. can you get us this paperwork? And can you show up on time? And can you come in under budget and things like that? And that success in that world very often Sometimes it doesn't depend on your creativity as much as conforming to that. Absolutely,
1: yes. I mean, you can't survive in that kind of an industry if you do not exude professionalism. There is definitely, I think, a lot of conflict between the corporate suits, I'll call them, you know, <laughs> um, and the creative side. There, there's always conflict there. It is definitely a huge compromise that you have to be willing to make. Um, but I think if you have the right person in charge of the creative side, corporate wise, that they understand the freedom. Most of the people I've worked with that are, you know, the the heads of the creative departments have been in the industry themselves. You know, they're they have the harder job of answering to the. The financial officers and and such, um, but I've been very fortunate to work with where you know the vice president of Universal um, and others who understand what the process is to get there. I know that's not the case for everybody, but you know I knew going into that that cruise ships and theme parks are going to have parameters. You know, and it's really what you're willing to do as a creative person and what type of work makes you happy. That type of work makes me happy. You know, I like dancing to simple pop music or, you know, old school R&B, Motown. I love that kind of stuff. I'm not going to be a choreographer on So You Think You Can Dance because that's just not my wheelhouse. You know, it's like there's so much room for so many different types of artists in every industry that you just have to find your niche. You know, you have to find what makes you happy. I think being able to work for different entities is very important because we all need the money side of it to happen and we're not the money side. (laughs) You know, so I think that they, we have to depend on each other. So we have to be able to compromise and make it
0: work. Yeah, we're very non-corporate ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we, we have to interact That's and we right. have to operate in that environment definitely. Or, or we're literally starving artists. That's right. And so I have an enormous appreciation for that mm-hmm. and um, and thankful that I have the ability to sort of circulate in those waters when I need to, which That's is right. increasingly more and more. Yeah.
1: And I mean, I think it's important to be able to do that. And, you know, and then if you have that side of your creativity that just does not fit in the corporate world, that's great. You, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be able to have both and do both because we have to put food on our table and it's better to, for me, it was better to choreograph for a theme park than it was to wait tables. I was still getting to do what I love to do and still getting to work with artists and you know, hopefully inspire them to do the same. So for me, it made a lot of sense. I was able to still create and and, you know, watch that work come to fruition is
0: is great. Well, you've been on both sides, I'm sure, of mm-hmm. being hired as a dancer mm-hmm. for a producer and then producing yourself. So you've you've seen kind of both sides of how that works. And same for acting, right?
1: Yes. I think having been on both sides is helpful because I know what they're going through. I know the difficulties of it. I know the struggles of, of getting told no 8 million times and being able to persevere and keep pushing through and knowing that if you love it, it is worth it. You can be successful if you are professional, if you keep working on your craft, if you keep showing up, you can be successful. You know, you don't have to be an A-list celebrity to be successful in this business. You can be very successful and nobody knows who you are.
2: And, ha- and happy.
1: And happy. And you get to travel the world and meet interesting people constantly. You know, it's such a fascinating industry. Being on the other side of it, I, I think being a, be, knowing what they go through helps me teach them way better, I think, than had I, had I not known.
0: How strongly do you recommend that directors take acting classes?
1: I do actually. I'm and, sure. And we have a lot of directors at the studio. We have a lot of writers and directors that come in because they want to see the other side and like make sure they understand what their actors are going through. I think it's wonderful. I really do. And I think, I, you know, when I try to tell my actors, like when you're watching a film, try to look at it from the director's side of things. And if you can get behind a casting desk, read for a casting director, you see things so differently than when you're just the one putting
0: yourself out there.
1: I love having directors in class.
0: Well, I've thought about coming.
1: Please do.
2: (laughs) I mean,
0: sometimes the things that you ask actors to do. I would buy a ticket for that. (laughs) Right. I mean, the things that you ask actors to do, in my head, doesn't feel like it's that hard or it should be doable. And yet, I have no idea what I'm asking, to be honest, right?
1: Well, and that's the thing. There's so many people come into acting class and say, you know, oh, it's just something I've, we have tons of people. It's just something I've always wanted to do. I just, you know, I love movies and I just, you know, it just looks like fun. And then they get in class and go, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was going to have to dig so deep into you know, the tragedies of my life or the, you know, the issues with my mom and my, you know, like all this stuff that comes out when you're having to portray a character that has deep emotions. And so many people don't realize how hard that can be and how exhausting it can be. You know, you think it's just reading lines. It's so
0: much more than that. Well, let me ask you a quick follow up to that, which is I had an, um, an actor that and I don't even remember the project right now off the top of my head but I was working with an actor and it called for an emotional scene Mm -hmm. and we got a really good first take and I didn't know the right way to get her to turn around and do it again. And either I asked incorrectly or the result was I can't do that. The result was I gave it to you. That's all I have. Mm. And I probably asked in the wrong way or how do you turn around big emotional scene and do a take two.
1: This is where coaching can come in handy. Um, You know, there is no right or wrong way. There is, there's not just a button you can push and say, here's the tears and this is how you get them. There's just not. Some people are good at it. Some people are not. It is for us as teachers, we literally have to get to know every student on such an individual level to know how to push their buttons, to know how to direct them, and everyone's different. Some people like to be yelled at and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. Other people want you to just look at them and say, how are you today? And it'll just bring out tears. I mean, and and other people need to talk about something in their life. Other people just cannot get there yet. Their job is to get there. You know, their job is to, to figure it out and find those ways, and our job is to help them find those ways. But... As a director, if some if, if an actor's gonna shut down on you, it's gonna be hard to open them back up. And unfortunately, that's not them doing their job. The emotional side of it is probably the hardest side. The crying is the hardest thing. And so many times people think about the the end product, you know, and if their goal is just to cry, they're not gonna get there. It's got to connect to what is happening in the scene, what is happening with their scene partner. And if they're not connected to that person and not present with that person and just thinking I have to cry, I have to cry, I have to cry, it's not going to happen, you know. So, I mean, I've been on sets before where I had to cry and I just could not do it. And I I was playing a part where I was getting beat up, you know, a guy was literally spitting in my face and pushing me to the ground. I'm like, why can't I cry? <laughs> you know, this is terrible. Um, but it's that fight or flight thing. You put, you know, you you get your personal life involved and you go, I'm not letting this happen. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's just tough and you got to get the tear stick out.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, I've got two over there on the, make, on the makeup table just, just for that reason. Yes. And oddly enough, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's true on people. Yeah. I've tried that before and they're like, I don't nothing. Yeah. And some people are just running nose in the whole thing. Exactly.
1: It's, it, it is probably the hardest part of teaching actors is to get those people that just have such a wall up to get them to get that emotional. Um, and sometimes it just takes a long time to figure out what their trigger is. And other people can do it on cue.
0: When you go from self-taping where you can do as many takes as you want. Ugh. You know, especially now when you don't yes. do in-person uh, as much, mm-hmm. you can just keep going until you're happy. And then you do a live audition and we actually, one of our actors for our film, I think maybe two of them did it actually, stopped. They've completed sides we gave them mm-hmm. and they were both like, can I just redo that? There's a better one in me. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. If you think you can do better than that, let's hear it. Let's see it. Mm-hmm. We're not in a time crunch. You know, and they were right. There was a better version in them.
2: Yeah. Well, in one case, they were right.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the other one. And his phone number is. No. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it? Tell me. It <laughs> <laughs> wasn't one of yours. Oh, no.
1: Uh, You know, that, that is something that we talk a lot about because things have changed so much with self-taping. Um, we, we really try to instill in our actors that if you cannot get your self-tape in two or three takes, you need to walk away and come back to it because you are overthinking it and you have to remember that once you get that live audition you got one try you know especially if it's for a bigger studio you get one try and you're out that door you know so it's really important to be able to get it as best you can on the first try and i have actors send send me tapes constantly will you take a look at these will you take a look at these and they'll send me three or four takes of each scene Almost always the first one is the best. You know, it's just when you start looking at yourself over and over again, of course, you're going to be your own worst critic. And really, you know, your job is to tell the story. It's not how great your hair looks and, you know, what angle you think looks best on you.
0: Leave that to the to the director of photography Absolutely. and the director. and yeah. the
1: makeup and hair people, you yeah. know. We'll
0: choose the lens that, that matches your face the that's best.
1: That's right,
0: that's right. <laughs> <laughs> We've worked with actors who are theater actors. hmm and how much we appreciate working with them as on-screen actors as mm-hmm. opposed to theatrically, because mm-hmm. they project and they just have a whole different yeah. presence. But we've also noticed to connect dancing to acting, um, and there's one in particular. We did a, f- a series of five or six-minute one winners, one takes, mm-hmm. and we gave her this entire script. She's a dancer. We gave her this five-minute script. She would do it three, four times. We were happy. And then we would give her notes. We'd say, well, right after you say this, just add this or turn that way or some little note in the middle of a six-minute piece. And she could do it without missing a beat. Mm -hmm. She has a whole dance routine in her head. And all I had to do was say, when you say this, just turn to your left, not to your right. And she'd go, got it. And she would do it every time. Yep. It was amazing.
1: Yeah. And that has to do with the training. You you know, in a dance class, you're learning new material every single class. And sometimes that's two or three times, two or three classes a day. So your brain, your brain's a muscle. You work it out. You, you know, dancers learn new material so fast. You know, I, I can learn an entire dance in 10 minutes. Whereas people who aren't dancers, it could take them two days. You know, it just depends on how your brain is trained. So dancers do have that that capacity to make changes and remember things really fast. Um, and I'm that way with scripts. I can remember a script really quickly, whereas other people take forever to memorize something. But the more you do it, the better you get at it. You know, we try to give really long scenes in class for that very reason, you know, because when you're starting out as an actor, you're going to audition for you know, waiter number two that says, hi, can I get you anything? Mm. Okay. You know, so it's, it's really rare that, be, that starting out you're going to get meaty roles. So, you know, that's what class is for. That's why you need class. It's really important that you have those opportunities.
2: I would think those s- easier it is for you to do that, to, Pick up quickly, kind of compartmentalize the script, compartmentalize the choreography, mm-hmm. and group the moves together. It probably allows you to be more creative, too, as you start working through it and doing the entire take. And, and because you know the bits and pieces, mm-hmm. it's easier for you to move the bits and pieces around and try them in different combinations.
1: Absolutely, because you you've once the memorization doesn't become an issue— You're not thinking about the words anymore. You're thinking about your intention and, and, you know, and, and being present with your scene partner so that if that scene partner throws something at you, you can react authentically as opposed to, oh gosh, she said the wrong word. I don't know what to do now, you know? And that just, that takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of discipline. And when people don't practice, they don't go
0: far. I would think that that would hold true for theater actors as well. Absolutely. Just because you're, it's live, it's one take, and mm-hmm. it's it, there's no stopping and starting, and it's well, that's if your nice. if your partner says something or turns the wrong way, you have to work with it.
1: Yes, you do. <laughs> you know, oddly enough, theme park training gave me ridiculous. You, it's so amazing how many successful actors, singers, dancers come from that background because you're doing. You know, they say Broadway is difficult because you've got 8 shows a week. Well, in a theme park, you've got 8 shows a day. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and you constantly have things breaking down, you know, the you're you're on stage doing a show and all of a sudden the red light at the sound booth comes on means stall. So you have to work those improv skills and then the green light comes back on and you have to get back on track and you have, you know, six guests up on stage with you every different every show. You know, you have all these scenarios. That you have to work through every day, every show, that it gives you this great ability to just kind of roll with things, you know. And a lot of actors don't have those opportunities and don't understand that, you know, we, we said it earlier, like problem solving. You have to pr- solve the problem and make it work because you don't want to be the one responsible for the director yelling cut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> reset <laughs> Let's you don't want to be responsible for that <laughs> yes <laughs> right. and back to one that's uh-huh. right that's right
1: <laughs> that cost a couple
0: thousand dollars <laughs> right you got like 48 people standing there waiting on you to do yes. your one line and you blow it right yeah. yeah
2: yeah well it's amazing how those those limitations when you whether whether it's a problem that occurs when you're in the middle of a performance um, or it's a pro, it's a limitation that's been um foisted upon you by budgetary constraints or time constraints. It's amazing how those limitations can unlock and unleash a, a new kind of creativity um, to help you get through what you have to get through in the face of those limitations. Yeah,
1: for sure. And every set is different. You know, you've, you've got some sets where you have so much freedom and others where, you know, same thing with theater. You, you can be in a show where they allow you to to make changes on the fly here and there, or it's like you said that word different, you know, you can't do, you know, it really depends on the set and the, and the stage and the director and, and the producers as to what they want to see and get out of their performers. So I think being adaptable is the best gift you can give yourself and just kind of being able to work with, different types of people, different types of actors. Some people are very rigid in what they want on set. Other people are super fun and loose. And for you to be able to work with all of those different people is probably the best thing you can do for your career.
0: I think generally we always try to be the latter. We view the script typically as the bones for the performance. And Mm -hmm. if you change you are to your or, you know, yeah. It's just make it flow better. Whatever, whatever makes it flow better Absolutely. is going to be better. We're yeah. not going to force you into saying a, a specific that's right. phrase because yeah. if it doesn't come out right. It doesn't come out right. You know yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, we, we kind of instill into our students, you know, if you're getting, you know, an audition or a part on a sitcom, that's different. They take, painstaking time to make sure each joke is worded perfectly. But as far as, you know, episodics or films go, a lot of times if you, if it's not rolling off the tongue, stop fighting it and make it work for you. And usually that is fine. You know, it's very rare that someone will come in and say, oh, you didn't, you didn't say a, you said, uh.
0: <laughs> I actually re- reversed engineered a screenplay that I'm working on. I had a couple of your students come in and I told him the gist of it, and I just told him to fight it out. Mm-hmm. And I just recorded it and made notes, and actually used their their improv to help me nice. re- make a believable script, a believable fight scene. Oh, I love it! That's <laughs> that, great. That was very handy for me. Good. Um, you want to talk a little bit about your improv uh, classes that you have? You specific? Yeah. You have specific improv classes. We
1: do. We have um, Sally Anderson teaches our improv class, and she is a gem. Um, she. Um uh, has sort of created her own style. and and she she, you know, you think of improv classes, it's it's generally comedic. Um, almost all improv classes I've ever seen or been to have been comedic. And Sally's kind of changed it into her own mix of dramatic and comedic. And she was a funny girl. Um, and people are loving it. it's 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 really helpful in their acting skills, you know, to be able to um, roll with the punches you know as we said so she's doing a great job with that we love having her she also teaches our teen class and it's just nice to have a little bit of a different thing for our students to do as as opposed to the, just the scene study it really it helps them especially people who have a hard time getting out of their own way it really helps free people up that are very rigid in their thought processes so
0: you mentioned scene study mm-hmm. i think that it's fascinating to watch an actor you give them a screenplay and and the screenwriters are told not to give direction, mm-hmm. right? So that it's up to the actor and the director to come up with the person and how they say it, who they are. And I think it's fascinating watching an actor develop a character based on the words that are on the page. Mm-hmm. So you guys spend a lot of time on that, don't you? We do. School,
1: We do. And we really focus on bringing yourself to the character. Um, what sets you apart from another actor is that it's you. Um, so we focus on, you know, dissecting the script, you know, creating the beats, creating the actions behind the beats, making sure you have strong goals, strong actions to support those goals and making sure that you're always trying to tell the story and getting your ego out of it. You know, so many people feel like as an actor, you have to put on sort of a character as, as opposed to just being you you know, bringing yourself into the character. And we really try to make sure that they understand what is going to make you book that role if you're going to perform it the same way everyone else is going to perform it. If you're going to make safe choices and just literally read the lines on the page, it's not going to do anything for you as an actor. So in, in order to create their version of the character it's really important for us to instill in them that they need to bring their personal life into the character as much as possible. And when they do that, they give a much more honest performance. You know, you, I think people want to see genuine emotion and genuine um, storytelling so that they can relate to it. And you can tell, you can tell when somebody's being genuine and when somebody's not in it. I, I really do believe that personal personalizing characters is very important
0: as we cast for, for people in our film, we're, we're noticing that the choice they made, they made a choice. Mm-hmm. The choice not, might not be right for the role that they're that in our mind, mm-hmm. but it was a valid choice. Mm-hmm. It was a good choice. Yes. And it's, it's a, it's a good choice, even though maybe it's not what we were looking for. That's what take two is for.
1: Exactly. And we, you know, making a strong choice is very important. And we we do try to say, you know, it's not about right or wrong. There is no right or wrong. It's more effective and less effective. And if you can make the most effective choice for you, then you've done your job. Whether the director or casting director likes it or not is not up to you. That stuff is out of your hands, you know. You're you're so at the mercy of of things you can't control as far as booking a job. And you can't do anything about that. All you can do is make your strong choices, go in, do your job, be professional, and you book the role, great. That's going to lead to another role and another role and another role. But if you're going to go in there with safe choices and 90% of the other actors are going to go in there with safe choices, who's going to book the role? The person that makes strong choices. Because they're going to be interesting to watch. And that's, at the end of the day, what you want. You don't want somebody to turn the channel. You want somebody who's going to capture
0: your attention. And he'll so, they'll certainly be remembered for the next casting call. Absolutely. It's like, wrong choice, don't, not but, right but for strong this choice. And we appreciated it. Maybe they're right for something else.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And that's, you know, you're not always auditioning for what you're auditioning for.
0: That's you, a good point.
1: <laughs> you know, you, you're going to be seen for something else if they like you. So go in there and just do your job. And that's that's all you can really
0: do. <laughs> you're not always auditioning for the thing you're auditioning for. So true. <laughs> that's brilliant.
2: <laughs> yeah, I just, I had a conversation with a couple of photographer friends of mine. We were all submitting images for an international photo contest. And, and, uh, and it was a portrait photo contest. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I don't expect to win this. The most that I want, the only thing I want, Is I want them to talk. I want the judges, I want the jury, to talk about my work, Mm -hmm. and I don't care if I win. I just want them to talk about my work among themselves. So I picked images that were strong, but perhaps a little questionable as portraits, where I could imagine one member of the jury saying, "Well, that's not really a portrait," and and someone else saying, "Well, I think that is a portrait," Mm -hmm. and try to submit work that stimulates a conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about being good. Don't worry about even being what they're looking for, whatever that is, because yeah. you'll never know what that is. Never know. Submit stuff, show stuff, create stuff that gets people talking. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that involves having to do something completely different than you would normally do or in a way that's completely different. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that that's the most, that's all I want. And if, if they dismiss me after that, that's fine. You know, but I think when that happens, there's a good chance that one or more will remember the name mm-hmm. and the next time something else comes up, they might go, Oh, who was that photographer that turned in that that interesting thing that was completely not right for what we were looking for, but really got us all talking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there's a difference between you going, I want to express myself in this way because you know, I want to make a mark. You know, if that is what is authentic to you and if that is what makes you feel good, I think that's amazing. I envy those types of people.
2: Like the Lady Gaga's.
1: The Lady Gaga's. But it's it's authentic for her, you know, for me, it would be a gimmick and it would be it would fall flat on his face. You know, it's just, it's not who I am as an artist, but for her it is. And that's, I think, what you can really see if if you are looking from the outside in. I think you can tell when somebody is doing it just for attention or is that their true passion to make people think and talk and, you know, wonder and uh, I totally admire that type of storytelling because I do think people need to be challenged in their way of thinking and seeing the world. So that's what's so great about art.
0: Before we let you go, one of the things we like to do is to ask our guest, and we'll go after you go, okay. um, what is your most recent impulse buy? Oh. And Shoko, just be honest now.
1: Okay. <laughs> Goodness. My husband and I took our son to Books A Million after snowmageddon um because we were locked in the house for a couple weeks got him some books and then you know there's always all that kitschy stuff on the aisles we got one of those head scratcher things you know those things you put on top of your head and they
0: the <laughs> scalp massager like a scalp massager make your eyes roll back in your head yes 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 that one that, that
1: was is. that was our impulse
0: about no. you? What's your most recent impulse buy?
2: Well, I, I bought a piece of audio gear much sooner than I should have, um, or than I planned to. It actually worked out that I could.
0: So just a, an audio recorder. I ended up buying a, so I, I smoked some barbecue, made some barbecue, smoked barbecue last week. And I realized that I didn't have a way to monitor the temperature of it. So I bought myself a Bluetooth temperature gauge. So it's like Yancy. good for it's good for three hundred feet. So, so, so I don't have to be standing there looking at it. I can be in here working or somewhere while this while the the pork is being barbecued.
2: Oh, yeah. Is a temperature gauge the same thing as a thermometer?
0: Yes, but it has two. One goes in the meat. One goes just in the cooker. So I can measure the air temperature as well as the oh. meat temperature.
2: We want to thank Katie for coming to the show today and talking with us. And uh, we also want to thank our sponsor, NoC College of Art, for making this show possible.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode, to follow Penumbra Entertainment on Instagram and Facebook, and to make your way over to our website, penumbra-ent.com, for a transcript of the show, some show notes, where you'll find links to everything we've discussed today, as well as, hopefully, some bonus materials.
2: Katie, where can we learn more about you, more about William, more about Fourth Wall?
1: Uh, we have a website, the fourth wall, Um, our social media Instagram is act the fourth wall and it's the number four, four TH. We have a Facebook page as well. Um, yeah, that's where you can find us.
2: Students can apply or learn more there.
1: Yes, we have a submit button. So that is the best way to schedule an audit. We allow all new students to come in and audit one class for free. And if they're interested, they can get on the wait list. Thankfully, we have a wait list and <laughs> hopefully join our studio in our community. We'd, we'd love to see you.
2: Katie, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. And uh, we appreciate all of your insight and experiences and sharing that with us. Thank you for having me. We especially want to thank our sponsor, NOSI College of Art, for making this show possible.
0: So we'll see you in a couple of weeks on another episode of the Creativity Motion Podcast. Meanwhile, don't forget, creativity takes practice.